This is Southeast Asia Crossroads, an educational podcast from the Center for Southeast Asian Studies at Northern Illinois University. I'm your host, Eric Jones. Today, I sit down with Ganjana Tabori Rook and we discuss her historical research, Mandating Modernity and the New Thai Womanhood. Hello again, and welcome to another edition of Southeast Asia Crossroads. I'm your host, Eric Jones, and with me is co-host and something else. Yes, uh, I'm putting on a different hat, and more on that later. Um, <laughs> wow. I know, it's early. You'll, you'll, it's laugh, early. you'll laugh after, in, in, in hindsight. In 15 yeah, minutes. Yeah, this will be, that'll be a hilarious <laughs> so I'm joke. I'm putting on a different hat today, <laughs> and getting interviewed, or chatting anyways, about my research. And this is Kanjana. Yeah, thank you for, thank you for joining us, and for... Um, Letting us dabble into the little of your brand new research, yes, um, which was uh, which is very exciting. The all of the historian feels in me were perked and oh, thank you, pinging. Uh, so uh, we're excited. That I'm you're, living uh, out my historian fantasy <laughs> as a linguist. There's there's room in the tent. Um, I mean, quite honestly, like you know, history is nothing but a, an a, amalgam of like. Uh, you know, economists of the past or political scientists of the past or anthropologists of the past. And so why not linguists of the past? Like, so, right. Right. So true. True. Yeah. Thank you. So you're bringing the it. Welcoming um, remarks. Yes. Yeah. So uh, making modernity, the 12 cultural mandates and the new Thai womanhood. Yes. Um, so drop us in in a time and a place here. What are we talking about? So we are talking Sayam on the eve of World War II. And this is Sayam before it became Thailand. Um, a lot of us know it as Thailand now, but the country actually wasn't officially Thailand until 1939. And these 12 cultural mandates, the very first one that were was issued was changing it from Sayam to Thailand. So th- that's the official act of the government. Um, and, and so what, what are some of the other changes that, that happened that we know that how is Thailand different or Siam different than Thailand before and after? Well, most importantly, it was the end of absolute monarchy. Oh. Absolute monarchy just ended. Um, Rama VII, he just abdicated the throne in 1932 with some coercion from the Western educated middle class. And... This is seven years later. So a lot of turmoil. This is a a country which at that time wasn't quite a country yet. It was a kingdom. It was a kingdom that has just been thrust into whatever it's going to be after the traditional absolute monarchy rule over the people. And if you can understand the disorientation that was happening in society at the time is their whole entire understanding of how the world works where there's king above all else we're all his subjects at any time you can be called to do rice farming to dig a ditch to fight a war and now all of a sudden there's no central figure there's a state and a bureaucracy and right there's a government without a king which was unfathomable at the time people just couldn't even yeah you don't think about that interregnum especially like what like that what how that must have blown people's you know world apart to some extent like in a way that they've never had to think about it before 
Yeah. Right. And it, it, they just never, it never occurred to them that it would be any other way. And all of a sudden it happened. It was led by people who were supposed to be subjects of the king. Right. Another unthinkable an, thing. Exactly. Another unthinkable thing. And these were all um, people with royal titles uh, that were bestowed upon them by the royalty. So, Pratmaha, um, Luang, um, all of these titles that they got for working for the king. Yeah. Right. Um, so it it I can't imagine what the regular people were thinking. And you know, it it uh, Thailand is always probably exaggeratedly like well, it's it you know it's a, it's exception because it wasn't colonized. But but in so many ways, uh, you know, it was slightly a few years later for the rest of Southeast Asia. But having the the Japanese um, just immediately and in and in weeks um, just lay waste to the British, the French. The Dutch, it's uh, uh, the Americans, um, the the kind of the you know the the image of their just like their their brains kind of broke. Like I, it just seemed inevitable that these people would always be in charge of us, and then suddenly it's gone. And and what do we do now? And so right. so Thailand also has its pr- a pretty serious rupture. You of, know, you yeah. you can think of any I think any event that marks a huge change in your life. Right. So it could either be okay. if you yeah. are just entering into graduate program, how do you understand or wrap, wrap your brain around something you've never done or never seen before, especially if you're the first one in your family mm-hmm. to go into a graduate program or empty nesters? Right. When you first yeah. have kids, you can't imagine what that's going to be like. Then they all leave. Now you can't imagine what that will be like. Um, you know, and it's so but that on a national kingdom scale yeah over millions of people experiencing that very same disorientation all at the same time and there's no one you can talk to right you're an empty nest you can talk to a friend who is just no one can help you no one can explain to you what this is going to look like and honestly the people who led the change uh which were made up of uh, three different factions there were two military factions of senior officers and junior officers, and then a civilian faction that came together and led this movement. Uh, they went out and cut cut the phone lines and the telegraph line in their military <laughs> uniform um, as a way to you know block communication and and um, took control in that way. And and they did it in a very modern way. You know, they didn't bust into the throne room and and grab the king. They actually. Um, cut off communication, which right. 10 years earlier, that's probably not how they would have done it. So in a way, Thailand was already entering in this new era. Um, so I don't think those the people who even led the charge between the three factions, I think they may even had different ideas. And there's a lot of evidence that they didn't quite agree on the now what answer. Right. And so so it, it leaves this. So they've, they've broken uh, apart the 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 monarchy that was there and or at least the 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 absolute monarchy and so i guess the part of your part of your work looks looks into so what do we what are we now how do we form right. sh- subjectivity the, now the now what yeah like question. how to, so we're new thai what does that mean and we're we're these new subjects and right and uh, even thai being thai in itself at the time wasn't a thing as the kids would say because there's there are so many ethnic groups in Thailand, 
And that was another mandate that they put out. Um, but, but Pad Thai has existed forever, <laughs> Ganchana. Let's not fast forward to Pad Thai. There's a time and place for Pad Thai. And, Talk about um, Thai. Right. And that's, that's not until uh, a little bit down, okay. further down the list. Um, so the, the fact of the fact that it's Thai people now wasn't a fact back then, right? So we had so many of these ethnic groups that kind of lived in the same area. And that was one of the mandates that they had to announce is that number three, oh, by the way, all Thai, all people living in Thai, what is now called Thailand are now Thai, which people were like, okay, well, I don't know what that means because they've never <laughs> identified as Thai before. Right. right, so they were ethnic Lao, they were ethnic Khmer, they were Malays, um, they were, or, or maybe subjects of His Majesty or something. Farmers, like, yeah, yeah. They grow, you know, they grow limes. It it just wasn't. It wasn't. It was part of the identity, but package it wasn't. It, yeah. Right, or they were so and so son. Or certainly or not members of a of a nation state and the League of Nations and like it's not you know the, that those aren't even things. No, yeah. no. Pe- people, you know, socialize and were unified in a, a smaller unit. You know, in their village, in their area. Yeah. They didn't think of people outside of that area as much um, at the time. And they, most of them didn't even think of themselves as number Thai, as Thai. Number one, you know, they, that wasn't a, something that they thought about. So, so these, these uh, 12 cultural mandates um, are put out as a, a, a mandate, kind of a, a educational um, guide for for who we are and so one of them is that you're hey by the way you're all thai now oh by the way uh, we're thailand yeah <laughs> and uh so let me go over them real quick so okay. here are the 12 cultural mandates. thing that has the word sayam and it has now to be changed to thailand uh number two thai people must be absolutely loyal to thailand the brand new um yeah. thailand um that was july uh 3rd of 1939 number three all people living in thailand are thai and this was on um august 2nd so a month later 1939 and then another month later number four was issued thai people must honor and salute the flag the national anthem and the royal anthem so um the national anthem at this time isn't the same as it is now uh so Neither is the royal anthem. So this is the old stuff that was uh, a hangover uh, from the, the previous era. Number five, Thailand is for Thais, right? Which is a different way of phrasing that all people in Thailand are. Right, but it, I guess it's more exclusionary. It, it is it more. Has, it has, the, that has that character. Am I reading that right? Yes, yes. Yeah. It is definitely more exclusionary. And this is how they justified anti-Chinese sentiments, anti-Malay sentiments, anti-Western sentiments. Um, That was November 1st of 1939. So this is at a time, if you contextualize this in world history, the Nazis are just coming up in power. They're making moves. They've taken over territories in Europe in 1939. And, And you don't think of Europe politics affecting Asia at the time. Right. We don't imagine that time being as global as now, but it was definitely reactionary. I think in my interpretation, they were they were reacting to the kind of threat that could possibly happen. Well, and and it proceeds, especially maybe some of the I see them on the cutting on the tip of the tip of the spear are 
these you know radical or westernizing intellectuals who are who is saying like look if we want to be part of this big boy club of 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 nations we've got to have of you know, empire they, yeah, yeah yeah they they have they have anthems and they have you know they all, all of the accoutrement but but also some of the um the uh self-determination kind of who we are who the others are um have to be in place and, that's, and yeah imagining of what thailand is because it didn't exist before um yeah. and the colonial powers were still around right the british right flanked uh to the south and to the west the french are to the east um and so there's it's nothing happens in a vacuum as we like to say yeah. in history and and so they're defining what thailand is defining what thai people is and then uh number 6 is the creation of the national anthem. And what's interesting about the Thai national anthem is that it used to be the army anthem. So if you know the lyrics, there's a lot of, um, you know, go forth and fight, bravery, will bleed for our country, which makes no sense to you as a civilian, um, but especially as a child growing up seeing it. And I was like, I don't know if I want to bleed, you know, (laughs) it's... (laughs) <laughs> um, but all those last all those last territories yes uh, yes shane if you're listening this is definitely what's happening right, shout out to an earlier podcast yes that's uh, shane Stratty. and um so they they change the the army anthem into the national anthem which informs the way that they imagine what the country is going to be like i think um and children are forced to learn this everybody not just children but we sing it um before class and when I was a kid, twice a day, six in the morning and six in the evening, traffic used to stop. Doesn't matter, green light, red light, boats, everybody stops and sings the anthem twice a day. <laughs> the, whole, the whole country stops, you know, and, it, and not so yeah. much anymore now. But even when I was, I was a kid in the 80s, it, it just it, a thing that was done. It yeah. was still happening. Cars yeah. would just stop. Um, and this is something that they mandated in 1939. Can't you sing and drive at the same time? I no, just, it's okay. not respectful. Uh, sure, right? of course not. And um, so you think about the afterlife and the legs that these mandates have. Yeah. You know, it, it ha- really did have a Powerful. huge yeah. social impact on Thai society. And then um, uh, the next year, the following year, they took a little bit of a break. Nine, uh, the end of 1939 was very busy. Uh, for Lots Thailand. of mandates coming. <laughs> yes, uh, very busy. And number seven says every Thai person must work. So this was. So a, what does that mean? That means that, and well, the end of that mandate says that unemployed people should be shamed and uh, disgraced uh, publicly, and it is the entrance of Thailand as a country to consciously become a capitalist society. So what kinds of, you know, it's, I've met very few Thai who are actually not working in, in some capacity or, you know, like, so, so what, what, what do they mean? Are they really targeting people who are outside of the formal economy? Is that what they mean? Yes. Um, so part of the cultural mandates, they sub- they produced a series of supplemental texts and we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah. And part of that is, what does it mean to work? So you think about this country that the majority of the people were growing their own food, rice farmers, orchards, gardens, everybody produced in some way. But um, the subsistence stuff, they don't like. They want you to be 
working. But you wanted, they need you to generate income because right. they started collecting taxes. I'm sure it's a coincidence. It's a coincidence. <laughs> and so they're, they're advocating yeah. people entering into a capitalist labor market. Right. Specialization, tra- all of this. Uh, and there was also a yeah. big rise in civil servants because as the government grow as an entity, yeah. they'd need more people to actually do the bureaucratic work. Um, and then number eight, they abridge the royal anthem and replace the occurrences of the word Sayam with Thailand. Right. So that was they published a new royal anthem that we um, must all pay respects to. And that was April 26 of 1940. Number nine, respect, love and promote the Thai language. And this is a different project I'd like to look into later. That's your favorite mandate, I'm guessing. Um, It's very interesting (laughs) because they were the only people who successfully reformed Thai spelling. And um, they advocated for a spelling system that was easier to read, that would get rid of all the Sanskrit and Pali etymological and the Khmer etymological um, remnants. Yeah. And I think that that is part of kind of pro-Thai, anti-foreigner movement. Mm, But the reason that they gave at the time was that the Jap at this time the Japanese have already um, made moves into Thailand, and they were trying to force Thai children in occupied territories to learn Japanese. And what I consider to be the brilliance of this regime is that they said, no, no. The Thai children cannot learn Japanese because they must learn this this new language first, this new reform. They have to relearn how to read right. and write Thai, their first language. And then once they've mastered this, then they can learn Japanese because how else can we teach them Japanese without using, without them knowing the Thai? I thought, I think yeah. that's brilliant. Yeah, right. It's a clever, like, look for our Axis friends, like, you know, let's... um. Let's, uh, we're working together here, but, uh, you know, we're, we're trying one thing this, at a time. We're trying this project, state project as well. So this will, yeah. Like you of all people could understand nationalistic agenda, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and then, uh, number 10, we're almost there at the end guys. Uh, all ties must dress appropriately. And this uh-huh. is the one that we're going to delve into. Um, uh, this was issued January 15th of 1941. Um, number 11 it mandates how to spend one's day, when to eat, and when to shower. Um, and how many times? How many times, okay. yes. How many times. And Was so, that a problem? Like, it seems like... It really isn't. Yeah. If you've been to Southeast Asia, yeah. we're probably one of the most overbathed people <laughs> in yeah. the world. Who does not shower, like, once, twice, three times a day? I mean, yeah. Right. Well, what they did was they got rid of noontime shower. Uh, oh, so people were over-showering? Yes. Number 11 mandate did was employ the pro-worker work day. So eight hours of work, eight hours of sleep, eight hours of leisure time. Right. So that would uninterrupt, that would interrupt the, this, this new kind of worker that they want to be out in the workforce if they have to go from their office job or administrative, you know, bureaucratic, whatever to, to, to go and. Because that impl- I guess that impl- if you're sharing midday, that implies you're probably at home or you're at right. Yeah. So what people traditionally used to do, they would shower when they get up, 
um, and then they'd go work the field. And of course, it's very hot in Thailand. And yeah. once you get to midday, you eat your lunch and you've been sweating all morning. You shower once more, go back to work or at least rinse, you know, because it's you're so grimy from working and yeah. sweating. Then once you're done working for the day, you bathe once more. And this new uh, eight hour workday doesn't allow you to do that. So they actually tell you to shower in the morning, shower in the evening, um, and then spend those eight hours to improve your body and mind, exercise and pray. Okay. Um, to give them credit, they were very open-minded. They didn't say what kind of prayer. They just say, you know, spiritually enrich your lives. All right. Sounds almost like a hippie, right? <laughs> Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's very. <laughs> but fascist. Um, and then number 12 is protect the weak. And I, I would love to dig into this a little bit later. Why was number 12 necessary? Right. Like all, you know, I do dabble in a little legal history myself and it, you know, the often the, uh, uh, the promulgation of a law or a code is evidence of non-compliance or it is evidence that a problem you know exists and exactly. so that the we can we can read in between some lines here and say like um, so it says to protect the children and elders so I'm, I'm wondering what is happening now that that's not happening yeah because that's usually a social contract that most communities enter into without having to codify you wonder if uh this this new nation the new economy that they're uh, throwing together if they realize that some of the social contract might be kind of radically disrupted. And so we have to, where, where those things would normally take care of themselves by people maybe living in proximity that, that, that it was kind of forward looking in the sense that like, this is going to mess that up. So we need to put in a mandate to ensure that that's, that happens uh, because they might not, I don't know. It's right. A, yeah. I mean, they, they're clearly disrupting the social order of yeah. what was there before. And so maybe through that interpretation, it makes sense why you would have to ask people to protect children and elders. Historians of Thailand, find out. Help us out. Yes. yes. Each mandate yes. needs a book. I think so. <laughs> I think so. There's an encyclopedia, I think, <laughs> yeah. that could be done. Um, so what I... I delved into was the supplemental text a lot has been talked about with the mandates people always acknowledge that the mandates were issued and how they were um they were enacted or how they were applied in society but not necessarily everything else that the department of publicity produced and they produced a lot just like any other uh, military regime propaganda body and they just produce so much text and the ones that I looked at were the ones that directly addressed the Thai sisters or esteemed Thai ladies everywhere because not all the time do you have a government directly talking to solely female portion of the population especially not in the 1930s yeah, in Thailand right. um, there were some women's magazines that came out at that time so women are starting to be recognized as an audience, but this was a big, huge step forward um, for for the Thai public to have people directly talking to women. Um, I found these accidentally looking at the mandates. I was looking at all this supplemental text, and then I saw Kam Wing Won Kong Tan Nayok 
ฝากไว้แก่พี่น้องสตรีไทย The minister's plea for our Thai sisters, and I thought hmm. the prime minister was pleading to Thai sisters, and that really piqued my interest. So I dug into the archives and tried to find if if there were other things that he wrote. Yeah, no, I mean it's uh, usually you have to read between the lines or take these kind of you know random sites. But when you get like a you know this this entire this entire um, Discourses or t- on women or toward, towards women, and then you get a you get a rare glimpse of what the the at least the state's vision of what of womanhood and what they wanted to right. be. Right, and the fact that it was worded as a plea, right, is an interesting. Um, Does it have the same connotation in Thai? Like they 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 they're mm-hmm. they're, they're imploring. Right, like, right, and and the the language is very deferential. It's very polite. It uses the huh. highest possible register. Um, the version of you that's used to address them is tan, which is what you would use for your boss, what you would use for someone socially higher than you, um, and it's very polite. Some of it you can credit the oratory tradition of the new radio medium, which is what yeah. he read his speeches through okay. because it was very formal because it was a new medium. Um, but at the same time, he didn't have to be that deferential. Right. When you think about it, what he was trying to do was build this cult of leadership, yeah. similar to what the Nazis did, um, and what the um, the Russians did. Right, our dear leader, and that's that's the model he was building for him at the time. So how how did this pleading right. language and, and, the, and the mothers and the sisters of our of our great nation? You know, you want that you try to get them on board, and you know, Mussolini was infamously mm-hmm. um, right. You know, part of the, of, of uh, Trying to recruit the 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 moms um, to to be part of the of the state. Um, so so yeah, maybe, maybe they were taking cues. Yeah, and um, this is where the they or... aligned with other fascist regimes. So there's some arguments whether or not they're fascist entirely, um, because fascism is normally related to anti-royal sentiments, and they are a little bit. Um, so what he did was he took. Mussolini fascism, and then he took the to- uh, totalitarian regime that's pro-royalist in Japan, put them together, and try to see what would fit in Thailand. Yeah, at the at the time, and this is what he came up with: is pleading to our Thai sisters, and then he's he issued a second plea, and this one uh, specifically on the matter of wearing hats, and this is where Mandate Number Ten: All Thais Must Dress Appropriately comes in. And now you can laugh at my joke at the beginning right. of the podcast. So, so put on your historical linguist hat. Yes, gotcha. indeed, indeed. Um, and then, like you said, with reading between the lines, um, there some indication that perhaps people are not wearing hats after the second plea. Uh, so the second plea was issued uh, nine, in 1941, June 14th. And then the third text I look at is ways to wear hats. Mm. Right. So this is com- in addition to telling them that they're Thai, in addition to telling them that we are now Thailand, this new thing that people never even thought of doing was wearing hats uh, when they're not working in the field is being told that they need to do. And people honestly did not know what that meant. What do you mean you want me to wear hats? So I guess some of our, some of our listeners might not know. There's a, you know, there's a, there's also a global context for this in like, 
in, in, you know, maybe Japan is the most spectacular example of like the, you know, these later industrializing countries that are trying to aggressively like catch up. They often adopt wholesale, you know, like, well, um, we need to play baseball and we need to have ballroom dancing and, you know, we need to have jazz. And, uh, so the, I think like, what's the deal with that? The hats, like, and so there, it's, it's part of a baggage of kind of, of a, of a, you know, how to be modern. A sack of yeah, modern. Right, right. This is modernity and it has hats. Right. So you reach, <laughs> right, you reach in that bag of modernity and, you know, Shanghai, China chose jazz. Yeah. And they really went with it. 1930s Shanghai jazz is amazing. Um, Thailand chose hats, <laughs> right? Hats and a national language. You know, I'm not, I'm never going to mandate hats because i'm not as much of a to- but i it's but it's you not, are a hat, it's not the worst lover of hats i know i'm just i'm saying it's not the worst mandate like you know it's it's thank you i like to officially thank <laughs> mandate 11 wait which ten. one is 10 mandate yes. 10 yes yeah. um so do men have to wear hats just wait. yeah okay. everybody had has to wear hats hey i'm on board a little bit okay yeah ahead, you're but, already no. you're you're just a you know a, a closet fascist maybe with the hat maybe. wearing maybe complicated and what's interesting about these two parts the first one lays out very clearly what hats are for which is an interesting question that you have to that you have to explain that like right and that really gives you an idea of what the society was like in terms of of hat wearing because of course thai have had have had hats but largely for sort of like shielding one from the sun for like agricultural labor right i mean they're this is not it's not like the the idea of something in your head but it's this not, kind of hat is a different hat. It's not, right. This is hat as a clothing accessory. Right. And um, so the first one lays out, these are the types of hats that are out there. This is when you wear them. Um, very detailed. Uh, I can... Did they, have, did, they, did, they, did they speak to some of the traditional ones? They say like, we don't mean, uh, you know, your ones that are woven. We mean ones that are yes, felted. Yes, they yeah. do. Um, so they do bring up traditional hats and say, well, the, you know, some of the hats that you may be familiar with are the ones that we wear out in the field. But yeah. then, but we're talking about hats that you wear in the city, uh-huh. which people were entirely confused about because if they had to explain it, that means that there was kind of a general <laughs> right. misunderstanding of what that means. People are like, oh, I have hats. I'll just wear my farm hat. Right. You know, um, yeah. Not what they were looking for, not modern. And the second part of this uh, ways to wear hats for ladies, half of it is an apology. And this text was... uh, Like for the imposition? A two-part speech um, given by the head of the Department of Publicity and Public Affairs. And he went into such detail that apparently the women of Thailand were extremely offended at the hubris of a man telling them when and where to wear hats and also what was considered beautiful and what wasn't. So you, I wouldn't, you wonder, I guess we, maybe the archives don't have this, but that this was maybe workshopped a, a bit out. And then when it finally gets to writing it down, it's like, okay, this, this bears some of the, there's going to be some pushback. And so let's, uh, well, the, the two parts were, were, um, 
the the speech were given on two separate days. And so is it is the second half the second half more is of the like apology four, four days later. Oh wow! So you can only you can there there must ooh, there must be somewhere there this like stream of like angry wasn't... letters like you're kidding me right like yeah wow that's interesting yeah and um so. Oh, sorry, sorry, 10 days later. So the first one was June 19th. The second one, the apology, was June 29th. Yeah, you've got to read between those lines. I think something went on um, yeah. So let me let me read a little bit of my okay. translation yep. of what... Um, Exclusive. <laughs> preview. This is a draft, folks. Let's not, let's not get too excited. Okay, so um, the first one, he, he lays out all the different ways to wear hats. And he says that the purpose of using hats can be divided into three categories. Okay. That is, number one, to use as protections, protection against the cold, heat, and as a hold, pattern hold on. of culture. <laughs> the cold? Yes. The, so obviously this was borrowed. Did he just, yeah, he just copy and paste it from... <laughs> Some like northern Italian, uh, like uh, perhaps, yeah, or even Japan, yeah, um, to use as protection the against the cold, heat, and as a <laughs> pattern of culture. Wow. Already, people. Well, this is not helping me. The number one use, I don't know what you're talking about. Number two, to use as decoration to enhance beauty. Okay. As a hat wearer, do you yeah, buy this? I, I, you know, it, it, it has merit. Okay. Uh, yeah. Number three, to use as a symbol of group membership, as in the case of uniforms. Yeah, that seemed that seems like definitely like I could see them. You know, these are the modern tie. You can see them by the, hat, the hats. Yeah. By the hats, exactly. Um, so that he laid that out, and then he describes when people wear hats. Um, so one of the phrases is, uh, in summary, there are hats that are easy to wear and remove, and there are those that are difficult to wear and remove, which I have just described when to use which type. Right? So like ones that you might pin into your hair or exactly. like kind of, okay. And so he said, you know, think about when to wear which hats. Okay. Um, so 10 days later, after what we presume to be a lot of pushback from the public, especially women, um, he begins his speech saying that we, I had just spoken to you on the 19th. And before I begin this part of the speech, I would like to first apologize that one, I did not intend to teach you about the beauty of hats because with these things, you, you as in the women of Thailand, he uh -huh. starts by saying esteemed ladies everywhere, yeah. uh, you must already know better than me what is beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> right. You are a woman. Nature has built you to be beautiful or at the very least you enjoy beauty. Boy, he's laying it on there. Like, yeah, something, something went down. Something terrible happened <laughs> yeah. for him to, to be pleaded. He got you know, screamed at. <laughs> probably by his wife. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Um, and daughters. <laughs> and uh, number two, uh, the, he would like to apologize that the department of public welfare did not intend to regulate the occasion in which you should wear hats in which way. For example, a morning hat, afternoon hat and evening hat not at all that's what they said that's number how, two how, how kind of them to... and uh, you're, 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 oh you don't have to drag i don't have to drag three hats with me wherever i go in case i need to 
the appropriate time of day to wear which one. Right. And what's interesting is that they're, they're doing all of these mandates as a celebration. So they asked all Thai ladies to start wearing hats on the 19th of June in uh, 1941 as a celebration of the return of lost territories. Hi, Dr. Strati. Um, to Thailand. This is wow. with Japanese intervention. They just signed a, tr- a treaty, an agreement with Japanese intervention with the British. I'm sorry, with the French, excuse me, to get these lost territories back. Yeah. Wow. And so this is like a like a, a real coming of age, like we've got our territories back. Let's all wear hats let's, on that day. Let's hat it up. Yeah. Um, let's start wearing hats to mark this new era Wow. of Thailand. And uh, so what's interesting about the second part of the apology of not uh, mandating when to wear hats is that um, he says, I have not even mentioned the readiness and sacrifice sacrifice made by the Thai people who demanded the return of lost territories until you succeeded. Who will dare nitpick and bother you making this rule and that rule about hats? Right, so it's an interesting way to weave in this political move that they just pulled right. um, into hat wearing. Right, you, you you know better. We're we're suggesting some things, but uh, you the people yeah. demanded the land. Right, the land we got back. We're celebrating by wearing hats. How dare? How? Why would we dare tell you what to do with hats? Right. Right. It's almost like when you try to trick someone into thinking like, it was your idea. It's your idea to wear hats. I mean, so I'm not going to tell you how to wear your hat that I I tricked you into wearing. But, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. And uh, number three, the Department of Public Welfare did not intend to encourage you to find various types of hats by paying an excessive amount of money. Uh, Because the hats all have to come from somewhere. Yeah. People didn't have hats around. They have to actually go out and get hats. Yeah, there's there's uh, there's a uh, there must have been a hatter boom in um, haberdasher boom in uh, yeah in it was a, a millinery yeah um, I was trying to alliterate I don't know what the word for <laughs> that starts with M millinery uh, explosion yeah in in Thailand to be sure so the apology goes on and then he once again lays out in very detailed way. When and where to wear hats. But back, I'll let, I'll, back to his old ways. Yeah, exactly. And this is in the same speech. <laughs> yes. But he yeah. apologizes first. Right. You know, so they know that he's not doing right. out of this. Out I'm not going to tell you how to wear hats, but I'm about to tell you how to wear hats. Precisely. Precisely. in to the new policy and who hasn't yeah i mean you could literally like those you know those old photos where everyone is dressed well uh seemingly on like a random street photo and yeah like in like the the people are wearing the like they might wear hats and you could you can almost imagine like a a visual scan um being able to survey uh, any any given compliance cityscape and see like okay well you know we've got about forty percent are on board with this new nation building program and we gotta yeah no it's yeah it's interesting that's a, and and 
I began my talk on Friday with two contrasting pictures. Yeah, great. One of um, kind of the traditional uh, standards of beauty, of Thai beauty, which was um, a kind of a square face, darker skin, short hair, uh, bare torso, and then jonkabane, uh, which is sarong that is wrapped and then um, rolled in the front and then pulled through the legs to kind yeah. of make pants kind pantaloons of a, kind of, yeah right pantaloon yeah. and um as opposed to what they're asking to be hat wearing shirt wearing shoe wearing people which none of those things were happening before for men right. or they women they would have looked like someone in bavaria or like they would have like the, mm-hmm. the, the the new the new outfit would have uh, again put them as as uh, mark them as clearly modern and um you know like the the the, the fascination with um towing up to the West, the, the challenge that the West presents, this must have been a part and parcel of that. Right. Yeah. So before we can do what we want to do, we have to look the part. Yeah. Um, and looking the part uh, requires that you be modern, right? So the prime minister plea that was issued first before anything else with this uh, new feminine dress code asked them to grow out, asked Thai women to grow out their hair. And the reasons that they gave was, following the tradition of our ancestors or the modern styles oh interesting so they were they were they were conceding to a to i mean did did they did they really mean um quote-unquote ancient you know styles or were they willing to they just want they just want didn't want to have the western references yeah right so this was they wanted everyone to look western but they were waging a really anti-western campaign at the time as well so you can't very well say (laughs) grow your hair out yeah Yeah, they have to navigate this this contradiction that they're working with in their in their policies um so after growing your hair out you also want the Thai sisters to refrain from wearing Joan Grabane which is the pantaloon that I just described um and instead wear it in the style of a sarong or a wrap skirt in following with the ancestors or modern styles. Yeah, the uh, again, you know, sumptuary laws have been um, a, a tool that that states and and even autocrats have used to try to 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 mark class, to mark status, to mark um, um, in and out in and out groups, and and who can who can do and wear what. Um, but it's interesting in this in the in the Thai project again. There, there, there. There's a the the royals must not have liked there's the because those those older sumptuary laws, like especially like like uh, the European ones, um, explicitly were meant to separate and divide and not um, um, you know some colors are for uh, and and clothing and and textiles are for special people and and the others are not. Um, but uh, if everyone is, if everyone's wearing a, you know, a wool hat, and uh, if everyone is uh, um, wearing blouses and, and skirts, and blouse, so so what is that? Does that undermine um, royal um, prerogatives of of their own exquisite sumptuary kind of presentation? I think you said performance of of uh, of their uh, of their authority. Yes, because not only were the leaders of this regime, Pibun Songkram, his ideologue, uh, Luong Wichit, and um, I want to argue also his wife, who modeled all of these things that women can't imagine what they're supposed to be doing. Uh-huh. Um, 
they were anti-royalists and they were also anti-Westerners. And so in doing this type of policy, they were able to do both. If they say, okay, try to look more like your ancestors, um, grow your hair out, wear your skirt. With, without explicitly coming out as anti-royal. You know, it, it, it doesn't, say, it can be anti-royal in a he very He was actually overtly anti-royal. Okay, um, in the, in the, but I guess the sumptuary laws don't sound, it could, they could, you can say like, um, or I mean, maybe I'm misreading this, but it, um, uh, you, you can say like, oh, in, in, in ancient, you know, in ancient styles and what you mean is, um, you know, not, not differentiate uh, as you, yourself as you would from the royals or, mm. um, I don't know. I mean, the, and, the, well, it, it did undermine the upper class, whether they were royal or not in, in mandate number five in that ties are for Thailand or for ties. So there yeah. was a push against foreign goods. And one of the things that they had to come out and say was, oh, remember mandate number five, that Thais are supposed to buy things made by Thai people. And not because Thai people weren't making hats right. up until recently. So um, they all the hats how are they, had How to are they come. shielding themselves from the cold? <laughs> so, right. So many questions <laughs> yeah. um, about hats. And, and so... Because there were no woolen hats being made in Thailand, um, or no city hats being made, uh, they had to buy foreign hats. But then that became a problem for their uh, nationalistic... To buy Thai, yeah. To buy Thai. So they actually had to come out later and say, oh, remember to buy Thai, Thai make, Thai buy, Um, you know. and And they actually brought out one of the, the great... Uh, stylist hat she was a, a mil- she wasn't a milliner but she was a hat shop owner and okay. she's married to one of the members of the 1932 revolution group and then she she really bought into the policy and opened a hat shop in a very uh, trendy part of town and she was one of the people that came on the radio to give advice on how I'm to sure wear she hats. was I'm sure I'm sure that <laughs> There was no conflict of interest with the business boom. It reminds me of, uh, you know, in in Indonesia. I think it was. I think it was a Tommy Suharto. One of Suharto's sons uh, owned a helmet manufacturing plant, and um, coincidentally, Indonesia passed a sweeping. Um, everyone on a motorbike has to have a helmet, or you're going to get, you know, you're going to get ticketed and. And uh, guess who owned the, the only, moons. the only, the only uh, helmet plant? The moons aligned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somehow. So, but yeah, so, 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 I guess these early and yeah, the the are your are the sources there to kind of understand the role that some of these um, women uh, also at the top had in in some of these women's movements? I guess it's it's those are can be trickier archives to to uncover. There was a great play that was written, mm. uh, written in uh, ni- uh, 2010, actually, and it was put on with, in collaboration with multiple organizations about the role that women played in the 1932 revolution. So all of the back yeah. planning, right? So the men had these great ideas, but women had the logistics. Whose house is going to, whose, whose house are we going to meet at? Right. Right. Um, where are we going to tell the other people who aren't part of the movement where our husbands are right now? Right, you know, right. So the women did a lot of legwork in making that 1932 coup d'etat happen that ended uh, absolute monarchy. And it's undeniable that they're still doing some of that legwork, especially um, 
the leader's wife, uh, Lady Laiet Pibun Songkram, she played a big role. She modeled all of these things. So she always was dressed according to whatever the mandates asked of you. Huh. And one of the great stories that people like to tell about her is that she was such a great woman. So you can kind of compare her to Evita oh, right. in a way that everybody hated the husband. Everybody loves Lady Laiet. And she was just... So she's this She's this. Charismatic, softening, like uh, like Evita of uh, Peron of and, and she modeled herself as the ideal modern Thai woman because people had to be helped visualizing. And, pe- and people responded. And people responded, and she was beloved even in my own con- in my own um, uh, country and and. Well, of course, in my own country, still, sorry. still today, like or 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 in your childhood. right, they like, speak. They, they speak yeah, very, the, very highly of her. So even with my, she's my one of the mother family, mothers of modern Thailand. Known she as, was yeah. the, she was the reason the Mother's Day was first held in Thailand before uh, it was to honor the queen. So it wasn't a greeting card conspiracy. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, in in Thailand. There, because there, there was the cult of the leader, so the yeah. leader was considered the father. So then, of course, yeah, yeah. you have to have a mother, and and she always wore beautiful hats. She always wore gloves. <laughs> oh. um, and one of the great stories that people tell about her is that even though she's modern, she uh, advocated for alimony rights after divorce for women. She gave, she pushed for women's uh, participation in the military. Um, she really pushed women's education in 1951. She founded the the Women Congress of Thailand. Then she ended huh. up chairing a UN committee. So she was a very active yeah. uh, advocate for her, the issues that she cared about. But she also uh, bowed down at her husband's feet every night. Yeah. And this is all of these things she's admired for that too. You know, not only is she a fighter right. for you women's can be rights. All, you can be all the, this modern progressive woman, but... At the end of the day, um, yeah, you're still a wife. Know, know your place, right? Yeah. And and she she was such a she's a, another project that I'm working on. She's such an interesting character, and and yeah. she embodied this this modern Thai women woman that you're supposed to be. You know, you're hat wearing, shirt wearing, shoes wearing, um, strong because they're being recruited into this nationalistic um, uh, task. Right? They're supposed to participate in nation building. And what does that mean? It means that we all have to do all of this work to build our nation, women included. Yeah, no, and I think the there's a there's a sense, a grow an, a growing sense over the twentieth century that whether or not you you see women as full full equals, usually they don't, or or whether or not you there's a sense that one ought to they they you 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 can't pull off modernity modern statecraft without at least the pretense of having women being part of the um program and 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 part of the uh part of the show and so it seems you know Thailand has 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 you know we 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 have to we have to bring them along and all the better if we can find uh outgoing um uh exemplary ones to uh to to bear the standard for us yeah and What's interesting about Thailand women's movement is that was it was created after there was really not a a massive struggle. So during that time in other countries you see a lot of suffragist movement mm-hmm. happening. And we didn't have that in Thailand. Instead of a bottom up kind of struggle against Right. Uh, it that, just wow, it just was created. Um a voting rights were given to men and women at the same time. 
Um, right, because I guess right because it's not it's not it's not like democracy was in as in as in Thailand in 1776 or something. You know, it it it, uh, this, it takes a while for you have an absolute monarch, and then um, so you don't you don't think about the the sort of women's movement is taking a long time to sort of the, the to converge with um, being co-equals that about the time it hits Thailand is about the revelation that maybe women should participate too. And so and it, just it happens. was happening at the same yeah. time as general public participation. Yeah. Um, Tamara Luz has a great uh, chapter in a book about the lack there, the lack thereof of the suffragist movement in Thailand. And what does yeah. that mean in, yeah. in the context of world history and, and in Asian history? Yeah. It's in a collection uh, called the women's suffrage. chapter was an interesting investigation because what does happen to the suffragist movement if it, there never was one yeah um in thailand and so this women as a separate group of people was created by partly i want to argue with this policy because women and men generally did the same work they generally wore the same style hair they generally wore the same uh clothing and it's not that they weren't recognized as being different than men, but socially there wasn't that much huge separation between men and women. You know, we, we don't have that culture where there's the men's longhouse and the women's longhouse. It was just men and women just have always yeah. cohabitated. Um, and, and even some of the, you know, I mean, I've read some of the first European visitors to, to Thailand and to Asia were, you know, are surprised at like the, that they're that certainly then coming from their own context there's a there's more equality uh there there's their, that's their perception at least so and, um, and the participation so maybe they didn't have to move as far on the dial um well to, that's a different yeah. yeah we we can argue that <laughs> too you know um but the in trying to yeah. create equality for everyone where there wasn't um a huge demand for it in the general public uh they inadvertently created gender difference. Uh-huh. Wow. Um, in, yes, you don't think in, about that, but yeah. In this, in this right. policy is that they were speaking directly to women. So there are not supplemental texts that I've run into yet that, direct, that directly address men. Is it because they assumed that all the other ones were for men? That they needed to do this separate publication group hmm. for women? Or what 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 can we do with that interpret you know what interpretation can we have by only having things that were addressing women specifically but none addressing men specifically which is what not what you don't expect to find in 1930s yeah. publication or radio speeches right if anything you you're going to have the, the speech to the men or 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 the speech which purports to be to the citizens was really talking to the to the men and so but here you have the women's speech and so yeah, yeah we have all yeah. of these things uh, maybe I'll stumble into something that Interest- directly yeah, no, address men and then and then it'll be a really interesting um cross section of what what Thai oh. society was perceived to be at that time by the leadership um or or I mean it could come later in in kind of post war development about like you know being who knows masculinity like the you know the state discourses on 
being a man. Because um, generally, you know. when you look at other fascist or to, uh, other totalitarian regime, there's a lot right. of definition. Hyper. Hyper-masculine <laughs> policy. Yeah. And you don't see that in this particular regime. And I think that makes it a unique yeah. uh, unique fascist regime in, in the era. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That is a, that it's a, that's a pretty striking difference um, from, and even from the Japanese, but uh, the... The, the lack thereof in Thailand is yeah again um, it's not I think you're on something well a lot a lot of uh, discussion of the you know Italian and uh, fascist regime is that it's the wounded masculinity from World War One it's the remnants mm-hmm. of of the the, the ghosts shame of, and the, right you know. and but we didn't. I mean, we have a victory monument for World War One because we were technically on the right side of history on that one. But but our <laughs> level of participation, right? We, there's yeah. no trauma in the the social psyche from World War One in Thailand. And the, and the and the the, the 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 territories are more of a the, there's a construction of the outrage than than you know it's it's not it's not it, it can no way and can equivalent to you know a, a World War One or World War Two situation, mm-hmm. right? So. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and and like we mentioned before, the legs that these mandates have had in Thai society and in Thai in Thailand is unbelievable. Yeah. So uh, so catch us up. What are some of the uh, what are some of the fun ways that the, the fun man, the man- fun ways that fascism <laughs> has played out? <laughs> I, I'm not saying it has. I'm just saying that these mandates. Oh, I did. I did yeah. promise that we were going to talk about. Um, uh, Pad Thai. Yeah. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. So yeah. This is the time? So, okay. so Pad Thai. Before I forget about fun ways that fascism manifests in our society, <laughs> is Pad Thai. Are you, are, you, are you about to ruin Pad Thai for me? <laughs> no, and I'm the about listeners? to enrich <laughs> oh, oh. your Pad Thai experience. just the Thai pronunciation spelled out in English, it'll have, you know, Pat Krapau, um, Pat Thale, and then all of a sudden you just have Pat Thai. And if you deconstruct the meaning of Pat Thai, Pat is to stir fry. So you see Pat everywhere um, in Thai menus, but it's also the only thing that has the word Thai in it. So why would you have to, there's no Italian dish that is called Italian noodles. Right. There's no, you know, German, even German sausages aren't called German sausages. They're just bratwurst. Yeah, yeah, whatever it yeah. is. So this dish is a Thai stir fry. And it was created, created as a way to Thaiify noodles. Because noodles come from China. And remember, these people uh, of the the leaders of the regime are anti-Chinese, anti-foreigners, anti-Westerners. Thai above all else, others, yeah. Red, Thailand is for Thailand. Um, uh, Thailand is for Thais, and Thai people must buy Thai things. But what about these Chinese noodles? <laughs> these pesky Chinese noodles that mm. we're all eating. There's a workaround. <laughs> there is a workaround, and that is pad thai. So pad thai is the only Thai noodle dish that has fish sauce, because fish sauce is Thai, not soy sauce. So- soy sauce is Chinese. Um, Pad Thai is the only noodle dish that has dried shrimp, which is another ingredient that's deemed to be Thai. It has tamarind, 
It has limes. It has roasted peanuts. I'm so hungry right now. And, be- <laughs> and bean sprouts. So these are things that are part of the Thai palate that no other noodle dish would have. Go- that goes out of its way to sort of... Um, Let's put you, all the Thai know, things in wave, this one wave dish. Wave flag. Like, look, look. I promise we're Thai. Like, look how Thai we are. Yeah. It's all yeah. the Thai flavors put all in one dish. It's like Pad Thai, you're trying too hard. You're <laughs> but Pad Thai succeed, though. Succeeded. Yeah. Pad Thai is a success story of fascism. Yeah. I mean, it's fascism has never tasted so delicious. It's, uh, uh, and it's, uh, and am I remembering this right? It was, it was kind of a, a contest or a, like the, that Pad Thai was, was, yes. Come up. Yeah. It was, um, it was commissioned to be made the most, Thai noodle dish okay. possible. And somebody was like, I'm going to throw in all the Thai things. I'm just glad there's no f- um, shrimp paste, <laughs> fermented shrimp paste in there, because that could have gone that way. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, it. Uh, it's it's pretty good. I mean, you know, like, I got to say. <laughs> I'm not like, ruining it for you is what you're saying. As, yeah. I mean, I'm still going to love it. <laughs> you're still going to love it. <laughs> I, I'll, but but I, I'm glad that I know. But uh, yeah. And um, in addition to Pad Thai, uh, the Another legacy of the mandates is the newest uh, cultural values that were issued by the current government, um, the National Council for Peace and Order, and led by uh, General Prayut Chan uh, Ocha. He put out this 12 pillar values, 12 core values of Thai people, um, in June 2014. So this is 80 years almost after the day, right? The very first one was issued in 1932 on June 24th, and this one was issued in June 2014, and also 12 of them. Um, so I'm I'm sure I, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's it's modeled. It's modeled after that because it was so wildly successful. And you see that it has such a huge impact on Thai society in ways that people don't think about anymore. I'm clapping my hands. Do we get a new we get a new form of headwear and our new twelve mandates? No, there's no hat wearing <laughs> oh. um, in these twelve mandates. It's just it's more internal as opposed to external. Oh. Self improvement, um, be loyal, hardworking, respect your parents, um, be ethical and moral. Okay, well, you know, it's it's not as exciting as the. I mean, no offense. No offense uh, to the current yeah government. current regime, but um, yeah, there's a panache uh, to the to the to the old to ones. the forty styling. Yeah. Yes, no. yes, it's it's not being ass of the Thai people anymore, but um, there the the mandates from the thirties and forties definitely has legs. It still can be seen today in society. Um, the anthem uh, twice a day. And long hair is more common uh, for yeah. Thai women now than than short hair, and skirts are still considered to be more formal than pantaloons or pants. Um, so, if you, it just became acceptable to wear pants to work um, just within the past five years. Hmm. Wasn't allowed for women. Yeah. Wow. When traditionally we really just wore, point, you know, pantaloons, at least in the central plains. And I want to acknowledge um, that regional differences were yeah. there, even though they were trying to wipe it out. The ethnic Lao and the northerners um, never wore 
the cloth in pantaloon styles. They always wore it as a sarong style or a wrap skirt. So yeah. I'm imagining that them listening to this is thinking, well, I already do all these things. Okay, I'll just put on shirt and shoes. It's fine. Yeah. Is there, is there a sense that, uh, you know, when you watch uh, the, uh, I, I realize that the cultural performances of, of Tynus are, 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 are very different, but, um, you know, there's, there, there seems to be a, a schizophrenia where if this is the most Thai, you know, by, by dressing this way, like when now when Tynus is performed literally, um, you know, it's, uh, it might be a single piece of cloth or it might be, it might, you know, it, uh, sorry, it might be, um, uh, these these uh, self-consciously um, on non-Western, um, or as 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 they're experiencing them. Now there is. Now there is. Right now, you can. I guess you can. Yeah. So um, there's Thai Fridays yeah. now. Um, so all uh, civil servants are is required. This a, is this an Aloha Friday? Uh, uh, I'm not sure. Or? I'm not sure where where why they chose Friday, but um, why not Monday? Yeah. You know, if you want to bookend your week with, with uh, Thai traditional clothes, but all civil servants must wear traditional Thai clothes on Friday. Do you observe the Friday? Uh... Um, I'm not at work when I'm home. <laughs> I, I hide out in the historical archives, so I'm excused. Um, but generally... Every... I mean, on, on campus, NIU, you could, uh, you could I def- very well could. Yeah. But my argument with that is I'm Thai all the time. <laughs> you know, Monday through Sunday. Well, I, yeah. I really... Fun, yeah. Well played. I yeah. don't, you know, I'm not insecure in my tightness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. have to perform it. I can't not be Thai. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. There's, there's nothing, literally nothing I can do to not be Thai. And, um, and so you see it now. And this is a new yeah. policy that was just, uh, that was just put out. So students have to wear Thai clothes and well, they're, they're made to, they're not, it's not, it's just required. A, oh, wow. It's required. Um, so there's a big boom now in Thai clothing wear, which is part of, of the policy's goals. Yeah, interesting. So it's it's not in the man it's not in the core cultural values, but it is a new mandate that they've issued, again still policing how Thai looks um, in society. Well, I would nor- this might be the spot where I would normally ask you to uh, talk about your food, but I mean maybe <laughs> maybe Pad Thai has uh, Pad Thai is not my favorite. This, this is not your favorite, but I guess it's no. it's 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 a dish. Is there any any uh, anything you've been um uh, you've been exploring gastronomically in the, in the um, Southeast Asian cuisine. That... I I celebrate it all, Eric. I celebrate all Southeast Asian food. Um, no offense to my Filipino friends, <laughs> not a huge fan. Um, it's it's. We were just talking about this downstairs. You were I kid okay. You Again, <laughs> it, no offense. I I know there are. I'm going to get hate mail. This is the only time I'm going to get hate mail. I send your emails to gmail.com. <laughs> That's not my. Please don't email that person. That person is an Indian person oh. who's not, who's not me. Um, we 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 would love to get your your uh, your messages. So yeah, I should I should I should say that um, the Twitter feed uh, at the CSES the the at NIU um, 
uh, is we're on we're on that as well. We need to we need to do a better job of getting out there. But uh, we we would like to hear from you guys, and you can um, you can contact us there or leave messages on the on the SoundCloud page where you're probably your podcasts are, are drawing it from. But anyway, I yes, please. So I I appreciate I appreciate the the back listening. to the hate mail. The, the hate mail. Yes. Yeah. Why am I going to get hate mail? Is um I'm I and while I do enjoy some dishes from Filipino cuisine. I don't find them to be as um, complex in construction as other South it's, it's East Asian like, cuisine. More like it's more like Western barbecue than any other tradition. It's more like it doesn't have it doesn't have the curried as nearly as much. Doesn't um, have and the, also yeah. the the combination of multiple flavors in one dish that yeah. is practiced in Southeast Asian cuisine elsewhere. Um, especially in Thai food, Lao food, you get that. Not as much in in, in Indonesian food, um, but Malaysian has a little yeah. bit of it. Um, the Burmese definitely practice it. And so that's the tradition I'm used to, is that you have to have at least kind of three um, cooperating flavors yeah. Yeah. in order to, for it to be well-balanced. Um, and so I'm when I don't get it in a cuisine, I'm not nearly as satisfied. It's very diplomatic. <laughs> I, 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 I like this. This is this is the 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 anti recommendation for good. Well, we will say the caveat: Southeast Asian food is the best uh, food in the world. I'm looking at you Latin America as well. I'm sorry, it's great, but Southeast Asian is the best. And so, being being <laughs> not the top of the heap, I think in, it's self serving because we're a center for Southeast Asian yeah. studies. Of course, I mean, you, we're going to say you might expect us to say that, but it's also happens to be true. But um, <laughs> I'm saying being being the worst. Of the Southeast Asian cuisine, mean you're better than almost every Western cuisine. <laughs> okay, so that's, that's where that's you're right, going with that's it. Where, that's where I was trying to like backhanded compliments. <laughs> wow. <laughs> to the Philippines. And I blame American colonization. So, you know, maybe True. maybe we beat it out of them, uh, you know, from 1898 to uh, 1945. Yeah, I don't maybe know. it was the yeah. American. I, I, I can hardly try to blame the Spanish. They have excellent food. Yeah, right. I mean, and anything it, Spanish food has contributed to is excellent. Cajun, Creole, Latin American, yeah. Caribbean. I'm, I may have just uncovered a new uh, line of research here. Yes. The American, I mean, American I mean, food, terrible food imperialism. Yeah. Uh, hashtag Jollibee. Um, <laughs> so that'll, that'll get hate mail. It's not good, you guys. Um, it's nostalgic. Anthony Bourdain <laughs> is going to hate mail you. <laughs> Jollibee is because, nostalgic. It's not good. Yes. <laughs> but, um, so it's, it's, that's what I, I love all. So, I mean, and I grew up eating, um, Cajun Creole and Thai food. Mm. And so I feel as though once I moved out of my parents' house and try to forge a life on my own, it was really downhill from there. <laughs> I, I remember being very appalled discovering what other people were eating at their homes, things yeah, out of boxes. M- macaroni and cheese. Things, yeah, things yeah. out of boxes. Yeah. Um, things out of bags, and I, I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't conceive yeah. what, what that was about. I, I've been at her table, and it's it's pretty spectacular. Uh, so yeah, um, you have a you have high ground from which to <laughs> pass judgment because it's, it's it's a real phenomenon. Yes. Uh, well, now that we've marginalized our audience, I will say um, <laughs> we thank everyone for. Listening and and uh, look forward. Uh, we'll we'll put out maybe a follow up when um, uh, this is uh, probably going to come out as an article and maybe part of a longer study. Hint, yeah, hint. it is a lo- it is yeah. a longer study. I'm I'm very um, enthralled by this era, and I've always wanted to make a 
a sequin t-shirt that says <laughs> I heart Piboon, which is short for Piboon Songkram. And I just want to wear that to all of my presentations. How um, how do you not have a, a vast, uh, as someone who, who has a vast hat collection, how do you not have a vast vintage Thai hat collection? Um, I don't actually wear that many hats. <laughs> I do love hats. I do love hats. Um, it just happens. I mean, this might be an opportunity to. True, I could dip your toe in. Um, but I think I'm going to go back to the sequin I heart Piboon T-shirt. Can, can I have one? I, I would wear an I heart Piboon. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I really do. This this era I find very interesting, and I think it it was. And I can um, see you under like a sport coat. You like kind of like unbutton like is that is that a sequin? <laughs> no, I wouldn't do it subtly. I'm not a subtle person. Um, so I I would just wear it. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Well, thanks for sharing it with us, your, your research. We'll Thank you so much. We'll seeing a lot more of it. And uh, we'll see you next time on Southeast Asia Crossroads. Yes, where I'll be wearing a different hat. <laughs>